I don't want a pickle. I just want to ride on my motorcycle. Hello, everybody, and welcome. This is the Nokomoto Podcast, episode number I can't remember. I am your host, MotoGP. With me is your other, other little other host, Swiggy. Yep. Coming to you from Nokomoto headquarters, which is also Moto One Podcast Network Studios recording suite A. All right. We've got some things to get to here. First off, if there's anything you take away from this episode, it's that we need your feedback for the next episode. I recently discovered that the motorcycle cannonball run record is weirdly attainable. I don't think I'm going to attempt it, but I honestly believe I could do it. So I want to do an episode about the motorcycle cannonball run. I'm going to look up some stats. We're going to talk about it. I want you guys to send in emails What's your cannonball bike, right? If if someone put a gun to your head, you've got to make a run. What's your bike? What's your equipment? What's your strategy? Let, I, I want to I get several people's ideas here. We're going to brainstorm. I've got some strong ideas about how I would do it. Uh, yeah. Uh, next, what are we going to talk about on this episode? Whoosh, we're going to do best worst bike in the world each week as always. And... We're going to have a little bit of a wrap-up on the MotoGP trip we took. And also, we learned a shit ton about moto camping. Because we finally 100% camped off the bikes for once. And we learned a lot about that. So, let's see, Swigs. You want to get into Best Worst Bike of the World this week? Let's do it. Okay, so here we go. Best Worst Bike of the World this week. This is the segment where each of us have chosen a motorcycle. We don't know which either, uh, each other have chosen. It's always a surprise. Now, it's just a fun way to look at two different bikes in a way that you might not normally look at them. So if you're going to get upset, send your emails to contact at nokomotopodcast.com. And remember, there's no crying in motorcycles. But real quick... I do want to explain why there was a two-week gap in episodes. I forgot about this. We did record an episode with Bruce Phillip from This Motorcycle Life. It was an amazing episode. I was so happy with it. And then Zencaster and our backup recorder for it both fucked up. We're doing our best to try to salvage the audio. We may have to re-record it. So you'll notice some of you who are playing, paying real close attention that the best worst bike order is fucked up. It's going to get corrected. Okay. Hopefully we'll have like a double drop if we can save the audio. Otherwise we're just going to re-record that episode next week or something. All right, Swigs, you have worst bike in the world this week. I do. All right. And are you ready to reveal it? Uh, oh, I should probably pull a picture up first, but yeah. Okay. Go for it. And the worst bike in the world this week is? The BMW R18 Transcontinental. Oh, well, this, yeah, we we just saw this last weekend. (laughs) We did. Is it it based solely off the phone holder? (laughs) (laughs) That's not the only thing, but... It did strongly enter the picture. It, yeah. it contributed. It's a contributing factor. Okay. So, yeah, tell the people what this is. So, 
for those of you who are really paying attention because nobody's walking into a showroom and saying i have to have this the r18 is uh bmw's weird attempt to do like a classic cruiser style bike well it was their big concept model like four years ago yeah we well, i think we first saw it like at the ims show we saw it in person yeah i think we saw it like the year before covid happened but the whole world lost their minds over this they they actually asked several different custom builders to take the the engine and the frame and make a, a bike out of it and one custom builder in particular came up with this build that BMW really latched onto. And this bike made the rounds. It went to every motorcycle show. It was on every fucking website. And everyone jizzed their pants over how awesome this bike was going to be. And then they released a version of it, which was stupid. And then... um and then I picked this as worst bike in the world, like er, a little while ago. But now there's a new version of it. They've updated the bike that no one bought to begin with. Yeah, this I think the one I've got here is a little bit more classically styled, and they've got one that's got like a more modern style. So, to it. so this is the one I already picked as yeah. worst bike in the world this week. But now they've somehow made the fairing even more Indian. I don't know how. This bike is as if the BMW R18, like, stole the fenders off a of Harley and the big fairing off of an Indian Challenger, almost. It's gross. It's super-duper gross. But anyway, go in. Yeah. Oh, here's an even shittier picture of it. Here's an even worse one. You like this. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so... So what is this bike? Yeah, that's what we looked at this last weekend. That's it. So this bike is very clearly struggling to find an audience because it's a very dumb bike in a lot of ways, and it really appeals to no one. Journalists will talk about it all the time because when they say nice things about BMWs, they get flown out to test rides and events. Right. But... Really, this bike is for no one. So, if you haven't heard of this before, the R18 is an air-cooled flat twin, 1800 cc's, and it basically makes Goldwing Valkyrie numbers from the 2000s. It's... 950 pounds it doesn't look like a classic bmw well i mean technically the r18c did but with an engine like four times the size of any classic bmw ever released uh it now costs twenty five thousand dollars and is outclassed by all of their modern bikes. So there's no credibility for it being a big air-cooled twin because it's not a V-twin and it's not a Harley. There's not really much, you know, heritage or classic credentials because it's so beyond anything that 
they ever released before. It doesn't really make sense in that regard. And also those the people who old who own those old bikes, they love them and there are there are a bunch of old dudes and they may have money, but they didn't hang on to their 50 and 60 year old BMWs because they're super super collectible or because they're super valuable. They held on to them because they bought them. They didn't pay the equivalent of $25,000 at the time for them. And they're also really not cruiser people either. Uh, it's not really for tours because tours are either going to be Harley faithful or they're going to buy a metric cruiser or they're going to buy a Goldwing or an adventure bike. So this is really a bike for no one. I find the, um, Oh, junkies, uh, texting us. Um, the the I find the most curious thing about it is that they're trying to give the bike a sort of custom feel, but they've done all the customizing for you, and that's nothing new, right? Like Honda also, and cus- Kawasaki have done a lot of like quote custom or LTD models. This one has gone to extreme lengths of customization that are oddly specific, like these weird like night sky paint themes that they're putting on them. Yeah. Like you ever gone to a gas station and seen those pictures of like the, the wolves and the dream catchers, the three, and there's the like three a wolves in the moon t-shirt. Yeah. Type. There's like a rock face and a star, like a, a night sky behind them. Just Photoshop out the wolves. And they've put that paint scheme all over these bikes. And it's like, no, you need to go with a solid color and let someone else vinyl wrap that shit. Also, the notion of a custom bike doesn't work unless there are prodigious amounts of the base model around. Yeah, it's not custom unless someone can recognize a plain one with which to compare it. Right, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so that doesn't really work either. But also now, because I think I'm, I want to bet that a lot of these 2023 models and all these weird paint schemes are like the 2021s and the 2022s that they couldn't sell, that they just changed, they just added a bunch of plastics to. Because there's also some really bizarre decisions, because they're doing this whole like heritage thing, and... They're also putting like 200 watt speaker systems on the bikes and TFT displays. Doesn't seem. I mean, at this point, everyone's putting a TFT display on. This is a battle that we've lost, and we've just got to suck it up. Mm -hmm. But I, what what did what did remark to me is that sitting on the bike and kind of getting it up on its weight and everything. It's it's very cumbersome. But whatever, I'm sure as soon as it starts, you know, making some revs, it balances out or whatever. But I remember thinking, well, I don't know which has more features, but sitting on the the RT or RS, what was the one I liked? The RT is the touring one. Okay, yeah, yeah, of course. So well, the there, RT, there were two other far superior touring machines, there. right? There is the K1600, and there was the... Uh, I have issues with the K600 as well. But the 1200RT, I was like, ooh, okay. 
I was like, I, I know what this is. This is a sport tour. And as I was sitting on the K, the the RT, I was like, oh, this actually has a lot of features, and they're all kind of accessible to me. On the eighteen hundred, it was all just kind of shit slapped on there that didn't make a whole lot of sense. Almost like they didn't design the bike with it in mind. Exactly. So, like, yeah, you've got you and your passenger have a heated seat, but it's like a clumsy switch on top of one of the boxes. And I don't know. I was just like, how long till this switch breaks? Um, yeah, you've how got speakers. The, how but long will, will the upward facing speakers last? In the I don't rain? know. Like, I, I'm sure they've they figured that out, maybe. But like, whatever. Um the the phone case. Let's talk Let's about talk the about phone, the phone, the phone case. case. Yeah, because yeah. this was a big feature this year: is a place to put your phone on your bike. On everything, uh, everything this year has a little phone pocket. And I don't know how much they've really thought it through, because BMW had a few different ones, and they were none of them were consistent. This is true. Like, now, the one on the 18 had a fan in it to keep your phone cool. Well, no, I, I didn't have a fan. It had a vent. So I think air would come through the bike, and then it just had, like, a top and bottom slot for air to circulate. Oh, so it was like an old, like, Volkswagen-style air cooling system for your phone. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but here's the thing. So the phone holder was, the phone pocket was in the center of the tank. But there wasn't any transparent layer to it, so you couldn't see your phone screen while it was while you were using it. There wasn't any apparent charging mechanism. There might have been wireless. Oh no, charging. there was. There was. was there was a Type C that stuck out. No, that was on the RT. Oh, was it? Okay. No, that was in the RT when it was up and to the right near the handlebars that had that had a, a charging cable on it. But no. There, it, there was no apparent charging. It might have been wireless, but it didn't look like it. But also, why does your phone need to be on the bike? Especially if you can't see it. Like, if you can't see the screen, you're not charging your phone. Yeah, in one of the, your three giant boxes or a zippered pocket would be just fine, yeah. Then why does your phone need to be on the bike? Secondly, well, we tested this. You cannot fit your phone into the pocket on the bike if it's got a case on it. Of any kind. Your phone fit in the pocket barely. And I have a shitty OnePlus phone. Yeah. Like, I have a OnePlus 9 with no case, and it barely fit. Yeah. What, what, what... What is this for? Uh, and also, so I, I've thought about this. I've thought about this. So it would be much easier for it to be a larger compartment with which would fit a larger amount of phones, right? And it would have been very easy to do something like a like a um, like a little system where it squeezed the phone just a little bit if you were worried about it, you know rattling around inside there or something or just put foam in there or just yeah or whatever it was but you could easily made the compartment larger so it could hold not just a phone but any other useful items but 
I figured it out, I think. If it was just simply a glove box, well, that's not exciting. But if it's a compartment which could only conceivably fit a phone, that's specific phone storage. And that feels neat to old people. I guess. I I don't know... Uh, personally, I would have preferred it to be, you know, an inch deeper and you could put all kind. you could put a pack of, you know, a couple packs of smokes in there, a lighter, I don't know, maybe like some dollar bills and change for tolls would be mm. a useful thing. But as it stands, I don't think you could put a phone and spare change in there. No, I don't think you could. Yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> there was it is all sorts only of... for a phone with no case, and it's still gonna like compress the phone a bit. You know, there was a running theme at all the all the bikes on display this year, which was just embarrassingly like tiny like front storage compartments on bikes. Like the Tracer basically had like a little pocket on top of the tank that could maybe fit an Altoids tin. Right. Why? I, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm glad that they're starting to think about it, because this is something that 90s bikes had. Y- you pointed out, I'd forgotten about it, my old ZX6R Ninja had a little lockable glove box in it that I kept registration, cigarettes, a wallet, all kinds of stuff in all the time. It was so nice and useful. And it was a single key system as well. Yeah, yeah. It was really great. (laughs) It was wonderful. It was absolutely wonderful. And yeah, yeah. So, I mean, getting back to this bike, um, just the 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 fairing, which is a ripoff, the lowers on the uh, on the fairing are a ripoff. Um, the 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 overall like tank design is very Harley Davidson rep- reminiscent, and it's like, yo BMW, you're known for your own fucking wacky design. Why couldn't you have made like the most BMWist of cruisers? Well, I guess it's the K sixteen hundred, but no. why couldn't you have done your big twin cruiser like sort of KT K sixteen hundred styled or something? I, like you're right this is a miss and and it's not very elegant right yeah like yes this doesn't have anything that a goldwing doesn't have but a goldwing is so refined this is just a blunt hammer they've just put stuff on here and it's just they've just super glued fucking farkles to it you know yeah it's like It's like somebody duck like took a hammer and then duct taped a lighter and a calculator to it and was like, look at all the things it can do. It's like Right, yeah. I I don't fucking care. This is this is so dumb. Now, there's one last thing I want to talk about, which is the marketing for this bike. Okay. In your opinion, do you think that it that it's a, a classy move to try and use hashtags to sell twenty five thousand dollar bikes? I don't think hashtags are a good idea for anything ever anywhere. Period. 
But okay. okay. So Yeah, they've got all their usual like copy like marketing wankery going on. You know, which you see on every bike. But they always finish it off with hashtag soul fuel. Which maybe in German rolls off the tongue a little bit better, but I <laughs> I don't I don't get it. I'm it it perplexes me. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, that's not good. I mean, hold on. Okay, all right. Let's finish it this way. Let's spend like two minutes and come up with something better. Like, it won't be our first thought, but by the time we get like three or four thoughts deep, we'll have something way better. Okay, so it's BMW. All right, big twins, big um, something is big displacement, big so 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 um. It's a repl- it's a more American style bike, so. My so my first thought it would be like, uh, and this makes no sense, but it's the type of thing that they would come up with, something like touring engineered, right? Yeah. But but that that's too long, right? But but mm-hmm. we're but we're getting down. We're 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 starting. We're out the gates, right? So touring engineer, I mean, um, uh, uh, uh what what what's the, what was the weird slogan they had in the eighties? Um, Vorsprung Dirk Technik. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was, I would be happy. To, I thought that was Volkswagen, but maybe, it could have been maybe. Volkswagen. They could have stolen it. I, I, I'd have been happy with hashtag Vorsprung Dirk Technik. <laughs> okay, um, or maybe it was Audi that did Vorsprung for. It doesn't matter. Uh, um, so, so like touring engineered isn't. It, it's too long. Otherwise, it would be good because it doesn't really mean anything. <laughs> you want your hashtag to be largely just meaningless. Uh, so, um, uh, we, we need like two or three more and we'll hit like, a like we'll hit the thing, but we're already doing better than them. Yeah. Uh, I, look, all I can say is I can guarantee you no human has ever manually typed in the hashtag soul fuel since the inception of this who was not a bmw employee oh, this is true no one i on any platform um so i mean they could just try to own like the backer badge Rebet, rebet. Mm. I gotta let it go and just move on to best bike. But I'm, but in the middle of best bike, I'm just gonna come up with something better for this and just shout it out. Okay, let's move on to best bike of the world this week. Okay, and the best bike of the world this week is uh, the 2022 or 2023 
Yamaha YZ125. Okay. So the on the lower end of the YZs, so there's like the YZ100 or 110, and then there's the 125. And the YZ125, since it was uh, for like 15 years, went essentially unchanged. And a couple of years ago, to not a whole lot of fanfare, it got a nice update. So it looks like the the YZ450 and you know all the other ones now. And um, it was always a full-size dirt bike, unlike the YZ100 or, or 110 or whatever that other one is. Um, but it's always, it's kind of been, it's had this, uh, strong following but it's always been in the shadow of a couple other bikes so as much as people love the yz125 if you're serious about racing you're going to race the the yz250f and if you're really serious about racing 125s you'll go for the ktm 125sx every time But it'd been a while since I'd really put eyes on a YZ125. And we saw one down at Coda. And I thought, you know what? I think I've been waiting for one of these for some time. So the YZ125, let's go through some specs here. These things are just ridiculous. So the price has gone up. In the last couple years, um, we're at just a little over um, $7,000 now. Like $7,100, basically. Maybe $7,200 by the time you deal with Destination and all that other stuff. We've got... Let's see here. Um, it is carbureted. But it's like um, we've got, you know, the digital CDI and everything. And it's basically it's like a like with its um, throttle position sensor, it's got like different fuel mappings and stuff like it's crazy. This car, this is like the most insane it has a carburetor, but it's also 3D fuel mapped. I don't even know how that fucking works. That, that is weird. I know. It's nuts. It it just it just has everything except an actual fuel injector. It's crazy. Um six speed, all the you know, um the things you would expect, read valve. Um it has, you know, the it now has like the super sweet uh KYB uh speed sensitive inverted forks that the that the YZ two fifty has. Um so you're not really dealing with like an inferior bike. You're just dealing with a bike that's in a different engine class. Right. Um, you know, it looks just like the 250. It's it's a sweet looking bike. What do you think the weight is on this? Oh, I already pulled up the specs. I already know. Oh, okay. So, so yeah, 208 pounds, which is also exactly what the KTM is. Uh, I also have a different sheet here. So how much horsepower do you think this is making at 7,000 RPM? Ooh. So it's a 125. 
and that's not going to equate to double in a four-stroke. But I know the four-stroke five valves are making like 40 horsepower. I'm going to guess it's pretty clapped out. I'm, I'm, is it going to be something like like 33 horsepower? So at 7,000 RPM, it's 16 horsepower, oh. which is about one horsepower more than the KTM. Oh, However, oh, that's where the power band starts. This revs to almost 12,000 RPM. What does it make at 12,000 RPM? 35 horsepower. Okay. Well, I didn't know the rev. Oh, I was just going for the. So total. the whole thing about two strokes okay. is, is it's not it's it's about the power band. It's not necessarily all about peak horsepower. It's about where that power is and where it comes in, right? Right. So that does sound like it's going to be a really technical ride. It you've is. Got to get that power. You got to get those revs up to. Well, and so the KTM's thing is, it has a little less torque. But as you start getting higher in the rev range, the power like comes in quicker, and so it starts slower, and then by, and then the the curve is steeper. This is a mellower curve, right? Right. Okay. So this is the one you actually want. Save a thousand dollars and buy the YZ one two five because while it is easy to ride, being super lightweight but still a full size dirt bike. You're going to learn technical things with it. You're going to learn to preserve your speed. You're going to learn about gear changes. You're going to learn about all kinds of great aspects of riding without having too much power because you've got to fight to keep that power. So it's not like the YZ250 that just seemingly has power. The 250F has power everywhere, and you can just like leave it in third gear and just go around the track. Um. Well, if you keep the RPM up enough, it's not it's not quite as bad as the YZ450 where you really can just leave it in third and ride it like an automatic. Um, but yeah, you'll learn more on this bike than you will on the 250F. It'll be cheaper than a YZ250F. It is possibly easier to maintenance. It is yeah, again, like the most affordable. It is the the best for building your um, your fundamentals, but also, okay. At, at what level do you actually need the KTM with two and a half more horsepower? Only if you're going pro. Yeah. At, at, at whatever point that that peak RPM is really killing you, not p- uh, that peak horsepower is actually killing you. You, you you need to start making like you know your own little like works bike and 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 modifying the engine and doing whatever you yeah, can do. Yeah, at that it, point you're you're swapping out your flywheel and you're gonna swap your carburetor out and you're gonna do all sorts of weird things to it to to make it more performance. At which point it's not going to be a, a YZ one two five anymore. Right. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter, but. So, so, uh, like I said, you get the full size wheels, you get the full, the full, you know, suspension with 11.8 inches of travel and the, the great big adjustable rear shock. You've got your 48 millimeter forks on this thing. You, and, um, oh, you get full size forks. You do. Ooh. So you look the part, right? 
and, and and it's a two stroke. No one can can complain about that. And making a peak, you know, thirty something horsepower, you're not underpowered. I I don't know why it's not the go to. Everyone's obsessed with their two fifty two strokes, but that's just too much. Well, it it's it's just one of those categories where everyone goes to the extremes, and I was guilty. One hundred percent. Yeah, you I, did go straight for the YZ four fifty F. I got a smoke and deal on one. Okay, it's true. <laughs> but um, I mean, yeah, the four fifty a human can ride it, but you like I said, you just have to kind of leave it in third gear, treat it like an automatic, and just kind of ride it conservatively around the track until you start getting good enough. Whereas this, you can throw around a little bit more, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not too much. And, and like I said, the, the overall value value for money is great, but most importantly, now that it's been updated and you get everything that the big bikes have, I always say how the bike makes you feel is very important. So you can show up with this at the track and people that really know what they're looking for will look at it, look at the jug, and be like, mm, that's a little smaller. It's probably a one two five. But if your riding backs it up, you'll 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 blast past everybody on the track. And you know, you'll be fine. The 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 but but you'll also carry your head high having like the new sort of like quote like arrow plastics on it, having all the, the cool stickers and all the all the the everything the big forks and and all the stuff that the big kids have you know it you'll f- more than ever you feel like you're on a real bike with this one now to the untrained eye no one can tell the fucking difference right yeah so i don't know what what, what are your thoughts cuz cuz you said on this bike too and you were like ooh yeah, it seemed like it was, you know, because even the the YZ250F I have is already just surplus power for anyone who's not going extreme. Like, it's, and having something like this, this is something that would just be also just so easy to just go to the track by yourself, like, in a pickup truck, and... 200. Forget the ramp. Just do yeah, the two- super cool move where you put it in the back in the bed by yourself, without a ramp, or just deadlift it. Yeah, it's two hundred yeah, ten pounds. Yeah. Just deadlift it and just throw it in. Uh, yeah, it's so it just seems so manageable. But also, it's just it's got it's going to be super fun just because it's a two stroke and you got to stay in that power band. It makes it a bit more technical. And, you know, you can do more modest things and make it more engaging as well. Like, and it's enough power to do, you know, pro tracks and do whatever you want on it. Yeah, no, it seems really compelling. It's really cool. I like it. I, for, for my next dirt bike, I'm really actually stuck in between this or, and this is really going to confuse the shit out of people. The uh, Honda CRF two hundred and fifty, um, uh, the X, 
Or... No, the the CRF two fifty F. So this is the one that's basically the XR two fifty. It's the air cooled one. Oh right, yeah, yeah. It used to be like a two thirty, but they bumped it up to two fifty. It's not quite a full size bike. It's like a, it's it's, but it's real close. It's not a kid's bike. It's an adult size dirt bike, but it's basically it's it's the dimensions of an old Honda XR. Is what it is. It's a it's a it's a Honda XR. They just happen to still be making it. So it's and just it like a CRF. Is it just like slightly bigger than like an old like DR two hundred? Um, it it's definitely bigger than a DR two hundred. I um, I I'd say significantly so. It's only just like. If you had it just on its own, you wouldn't notice it being small. But then if we put it next to your 250F, you'd be like, oh, that's small. Okay. But if it was just like in a vacuum, it doesn't look small at all. Mm-hmm. The, for, the first thing you would notice is that it's air-cooled. Uh, but, I mean, and it's probably only got like 10 inches of suspension travel or 10 and a half instead of like the full like 8 point or 11.9 or whatever it is. Well, so you might be in danger if you just like land it flat on top of a of a um Yeah, you'd have to case it pretty fucking hard for it to be a problem. Okay. Um but it's just super simple. It's air-cooled, it's low maintenance, it's something I could ride with the kids. It's something that I don't have enough I it would take me several seasons of riding it hard to outgrow it. I, and it's the price is right. I, I'm very compelled. The 250F is made for me. That's that's the bike for me to go ride trails with the kids. Yeah. Um, but this is super cool too. All right, we're like almost 40 minutes into this. Um, let's oh, let's what what which one do we want to tackle next? So um, the moto camping and let's the... do moto camping and then we can do the race. Okay, so. Let's see here. We we rode down to Austin, Texas from Greeley, Colorado on my 78 Goldwing and your 96 Valkyrie. 97. 97. We loaded them up. We completely filled all the bags and then strapped extra shit to them as well. Including a couple camping chairs. Hey, the camping, you were skeptical. The camping chairs was a great idea. <laughs> it did work out, yeah. It did work out. Well, I think it only worked because you had the full Vetter fairing with the lowers. I think without that, it would have been a really They might have caught more wind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but, but uh, everything worked perfect. Uh, both bikes worked completely perfect the whole time. Uh, well, let's bring this up. Before I left... And I'm going to recommend to anyone that's taking a an older or sketchy bike on any trip like this. The Goldwing was by no way sketchy, but I did a lot of work to it before we left. But I did one thing in particular that was far and away the best use of money. I put new rear shocks on it. I had put... I had rebuilt the forks last year, I think. I think it was the year before, but it may have been. But I'd re- you know, fair before too long ago, done a a fork rebuild and put progressive springs in the front. And um 
Just the old air shocks were just fucking horrible. And I only spent like $90 on some MGOs. That's right. The people that made the horrible pod filters that fucked up your carburetors. I bought a set of $90 MGO shocks. And I'll tell you what, we'll see how long they last. But so far for $90, I am very pleased. Everyone on the forums talks about how stiff and horrible they are. I have found it over the first, uh, you know, 2,300 miles that I've put on these shocks now is that there's a break-in period. It's kind of like when you put a new chain on. You know, you check the chain after 400 miles and go, holy shit, like it's there's this much slack in it? Well, yeah, there is right at first. There's an, there's, so I put these shocks on. It was pretty stiff. But after 2,000 miles, it's right where it should be. It's perfect. And yeah, I'll admit, like, you know, still it would be on the stiff side because I've got these things on a gold wing and I still haven't put any fucking preload on them. But you know what? They're working out great. Um, so if anyone out there is riding something maybe a little past its prime, don't be afraid to buy the cheapo shocks. I guarantee you they're better than your 1970s or 1980s bullshit that you're running. I guarantee you. There's there's just no way. There's just no way they can be worse. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, and it's ninety fucking dollars. Who gives a shit? Go to Z One or Four Into One dot com or Saber Cycle or whatever, whatever weird you know UJM parts website of your choice is, and just spend no like more than a hundred dollars. Yeah, we, we bike world. Yeah, just do it. Just fucking do it. I tightened up the handlebars and put new sh shocks on the back of this bike and it rides. Oh, it's, I mean, it's a whole new fucking bike. Is it not? It is. It's so much better. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's so much better. Well, I, I think you said it best. You were like, well, you're like, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to getting back on my bike, but if if the Goldwing had the full horsepower and torque, really the torque that your that your um, Valkyrie had, I think you would have been happier to stay on the Goldwing for longer. Maybe, yeah, yeah. But it didn't happen, did it? It did. Uh. No, that's. <laughs> but mine had more range, and we'll get into that. <laughs> uh, so so anyway, yeah, we loaded these bikes up, and we committed the first cardinal sin of of moto camping which was we packed too much stuff we did yeah we packed some recording equipment that we ended up not using we packed up uh extra batteries that we didn't need we although i do want to say though that the that our concept for the batteries was great we used our lawnmower batteries from our electric mowers and bought an yeah, inverter. We, we got the we well the only thing we did that was wrong is that we brought three batteries, which was way too much. I think we I think that plus all the battery banks we brought, we brought like 5 kilowatt hours. Of, well, we also <laughs> we brought, No, no, we we probably brought like 4 kilowatt hours of battery power with us. 
And we did not need anywhere near that much. It's true. Like it's one true. one would have been plenty. I would have liked to add two. But we also brought some weed with us to to in case you needed to recharge off of someone's generator. So with one, we could have just been recharging a lot more often. Uh, the one but yeah. battery and it'd but be if you fine. don't have if you don't need to run like any motors like any electric motors or on it on anything like one ryobi battery and an inverter is just straight up like enough power for one person like for a week to charge their phone and do whatever yeah pretty good light at night as well um i think our biggest revelation was in camp cooking oh yeah because we did the simplest dumbest most like poverty stricken technique ever this year and it was the best it was it was the best we've ever done yeah so in years past we've taken we've like trailered down like a weber propane grill we've done all kinds of bullshit we've done the The, like camping stovetop with like the yeah we've done like the double burner coleman thing and everything it's all garbage it's all bullshit if you're gonna camp off your motorcycle I have the solution for you. This is it. All you need is to to when it, whenever you don't even take it with you. When you get to where you're going, stop at Walmart and buy the smallest bag of charcoal you can and two aluminum pans. Like the, like the, the half size, like the half hotel size aluminum pans, right? Fill one with charcoal and use the other to like, you know, uh, put on top of those. Now, what we did was we went into Walmart for like $10. There's a disposable camping grill kit, which is what I'm talking about, but just like a little metal grate across the top. Which you don't we even really overpaid for. Like you could probably just improvise that yourself. And that's what I'm saying. Just buy two aluminum pans. Right. Um, yeah. Now we did actually. Actually, what I do recommend because you'll have space for this. We brought a small skillet or a medium sized skillet and um, and a spatula, and and a uh, one of those cutting boards that you can like roll up. Those like super thin cutting boards. It kind of looks like a placemat, but it's a cutting board. So, our my plan was this. I was like, okay. We're going to the store. We're going to buy meats and vegetables. Here's the deal. I'm cooking everything in one pan. I brought a, a, a shaker full of salt, pepper, and garlic powder all mixed together. I was like, this is our one seasoning. Done. I No butter. No anything. Just that. Just, okay. Here, I, oh, I brought a knife. So here we go, cutting everything up, slicing vegetables. Here we go, chicken in here. Now throw in some mushrooms. Now throw in some some peppers. All right, done. Just put it on the fucking coals. Done. Just on the ground, cooking on the fucking ground. I don't know why I made it so complicated in the past. And when you're done, you don't have to take it with you. It's just a burned out aluminum pan. You can just 
put it in the garbage campsite. It's just charcoals and a bit of aluminum. So all you have to carry is a fucking skillet and a spatula, or if you don't even want the skillet, just the spatula and buy two aluminum pans. That's fucking it. And if you're staying at a campground with a lot of other people, you can probably mooch some charcoal off of somebody that brought a whole fucking bag. Yeah, just bring a lighter and use your uh, gas station receipt to light the charcoal and you're good to go. Yeah, it's it's it doesn't have to be hard. I don't know why I made it hard. So yeah. So for cooking, that's it. Uh um uh, so another trick I recommend, uh, we didn't have to use it, but it definitely greased the wheels with a couple people in case we were going to need it. If you're from a state where weed is legal and you're going to a state where weed is not, maybe buy a couple pre real nice pre-rolls and put them at the bottom of your luggage. And then when you get to your campsite, you know, have a friendly conversation and go, you know, we brought a little something extra with us from Oregon or Colorado or wherever, and uh, we'd be willing to trade for use of, like, your RV shower or your generator on occasion, if you're cool with that. And no one turned us down. And for for the big win, I bought a box of 16, like, third-size mini pre-rolls so I could bust them out into little like individual servings for people. It went down pretty well. Uh, let's see here for the moto camping. I mean, you got to pack a tent. There's no way around that. Um, you know, I've never been like, I was a fucking like Eagle scout and shit. I've never really been into the whole tarp thing. I, it just feels like too much to carry. I feel like tents these days are a lot better than they used to be, and the bottom of a tent is way more fucking waterproof than it used to be. Not only that, but they're just so much lighter now. Like, I've had the same, like, $40 Ozark Trail, like, one-man sleeping tent for, like, six years now. Now... This last year of the wind, like, the top brace did, like, start to splinter. But I've paid, like, $4 per trip for this. Yeah, but thing. also, like, four wraps of Gorilla Tape, and that's going to be, like, new. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, tents are just so good these days. Like, Yeah, the, literally the worst tent is better than the best tent from 1980-something. Yeah, well, especially in terms of portability. Oh yeah, um, I I I feel like even though I was like, okay, I'm going to bring the tent, but I, but like, fuck a tarp. If we need a tarp, we'll get one when we get down there. I was like, you know, I I still personally, for me, think it's worth packing the air mattress. It's just so much nicer to be off the ground. I don't know. For some people, they don't mind it, or they can do the little, like, roll-up thing. I don't think it saves that much space, and I think it's just worth prioritizing. That's for me. If you don't think so, sure. But now there's fucking USB-powered fans and shit, and it's all good. Oh, yeah, the, US the USB-C air pump 
was pretty sweet this year. It was. Um, let's see. Uh, personally, I have never really gotten on well with just taking, like, putting, like, dirty clothes in a pillowcase for a pillow. I just like a, a real pillow. So I prioritize space for that as well. Um, wow. I, I didn't bring a pillow, but honestly, I was pretty drunk most of the time. I yeah. Didn't I didn't have a lot of trouble falling asleep. You know, when you're camping, you're kind of gross anyway. If I could do it again this year, I would have actually not brought a towel and a bunch of Douglas Adams fans just gasped in horror. But uh, honestly, like, I know this sounds like fucking weird and gross. Like, when you go to, like, the camp showers or whatever. Just dry yourself off with your dirty shirt. Yeah, use floor. your dirty t-shirt and just dry yourself off. Like, you're camping. Like, do you need to be 100% dry? Or do you just need to kind of, like, dry off, like, your torso and your crotch? And the rest will do itself. You're camping, so it's probably not super cold outside. Yeah. I'm guessing you can just deal with it. You really just need to get the grease off you. Yeah. I, so... I would have even like gone without the towel or I would have brought instead of a full size, like a, like a half size towel or something. Um, let's see. Um, there's no need to bring like your own shampoo and stuff. Steal some from like a hotel on the way down or just like arrange, like find a mini bottle before you go down there. Um, I've just been, I, well, just personally, I've just been living the bar bar soap only life for a long time now, and it's worked well for me. Yeah, soap is soap is soap. It's all degreaser. It's all degreaser. It's just human safe degreaser. That's all. Yeah, it is. yeah. Whether it's in a liquid form or a, a bar form, it's like look up the active ingredients. Whether it's fucking Irish Spring or like Pert Plus, it's the same fucking shit. <laughs> Uh, right. Um, let's see. Anything else we've got for just like the camping off the bike kind of, uh, not particularly. Um, although we should talk about, uh, the ride down there because for the first time we had two large, well, we, we were two very large bikes and we had 10 carburetors between us. Right. <laughs> it's true. And uh, maximizing fuel economy actually became uh, a factor of speed for us. Yes. Uh, we should talk about that a little bit. Well, um, yeah, I mean, both the bikes had just been like run around in town for a season or two because COVID didn't really let us get out on the highway for like big, real big, long stretches. Um, I mean, I guess in uh, in 2020, I did do a an iron butt on that Goldwing solo. But um, yeah, we did a ride in 2021, but um, well. The Valkyrie had been sitting in the garage for basically six months. Right. And, well, I think probably the, you had winterized the um, the Goldwing as well. Right. But I think, the, the well, the more important factor is, you know, before we'd had fuel-injected bikes or smaller bikes, 
And we just kind of blasted it all the way down, doing like 80 miles an hour and 85 miles an hour as much as we possibly could. But this year, we had two very large bikes. Two very large, thirsty bikes. Yeah. Well, I managed to get the Goldwing averaging 35 by the last day. Mm -hmm. But it was more like 24 miles per gallon on the first day. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think I, especially like when we but were, we um, got we got those engines hot and we blew every piece of shit and crap out of those motors. We did. We I I think those valves were seating much nicer with I, less carbon on I them. I think by, by the, the time end. we got back, the Valkyrie was making like fifteen to twenty percent better miles per gallon than when it we must left. have. Been, it was something. Yeah. Because in the beginning, well, so so my my the longest distance I went without hitting reserve was 140 miles. The shortest was 85. Right. <laughs> 85 miles with in four gallons. That's terrible. That is that is just abysmal. In fairness, we were going uphill with at altitude at altitude with the wind against us at the beginning of the trip at like 90 miles an hour yeah (laughs) well well we had to slow down because i was like look i can the goldwing she's from 1978 she makes like 68 horsepower at the crank i might be getting 50 to the back wheel i'm fully loaded now i can still do 80 something 90 miles an hour with you all day but not uphill with a headwind you yeah. know like <laughs> i was i was i was having to click down a gear or two and like give like just hold the throttle wide open and and i and you were still getting away from me and i was like look in every riding circumstance but this, I'm going to keep pace, but I can't do this. And then on top of that, we were getting the worst mileage ever. So we backed off to about 65, 70, and all of a sudden, shit got better. Uh, and then we also discovered that actually, almost no matter what, the Goldwing, the GL1000, was uh, sipping about anywhere from a tenth of a gallon to a fifth of a gallon less per fill-up. That is true. And these tanks are both the same size, so I think, technically well, I, think, I had more range. I think I have like a third of a gallon more than you, but it's all in the reserve. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, the Valkyrie was a joy to ride. Um, I mean, it's just like a new Goldwing. It's it's a it's 100 horsepower, 100 foot-pounds of torque. Who can complain about that, right? Um. Yeah, the the bikes were fantastic, and and everywhere we stopped, people commented, "Oh, what year is that? Oh my gosh, what is it?" The Goldwing, the GL one thousand, got a lot of comments. It did, yeah. A lot of them were from people just being like, "What is wrong with you?" Like, well, a lot of well, people get misty eyed, going, "Oh, I had one just like that." Then they see the Colorado plates, and they're like, "Wait, where are you going?" But yeah, yeah. It was good. We got, uh, uh, you know, I have gone on in the past of saying that you don't want to stay at nice hotels. You want to stay at cheap hotels. I'm actually going to modify this. You want to stay at cheap motels. And I'm going to add La Quinta to the list. Now, not all La Quintas are built the same. However, La Quinta has 
just the right number of of characteristics that they will all share to make it uh, I'm going to say a safe bet, right? So there's a, there's a, there's a two things about Lakinta that are uh, I think really strong for it, especially if you're riding a motorcycle. One is most of them is is that it's basically a super 8 but they do have an overnight security guard. So you will have that little, if you have to leave stuff on your bike, if you can park near the front, you're generally going to be okay. So this is the thing. So I worked in hotels for ages and ages and ages. This is a thing. Uh, if you don't know this, there's no law against it. There's no rule against it. It's really at the night porter's discretion. And if you ask, um, there's usually not a problem with this. You can usually park your bike at the front door. There's like, you know, a brick loading or unloading zone or whatever. Now, they won't let you keep it there all day. But if you're going to be there overnight and you're leaving first thing in the morning... It's unusual that they'll have a problem with it. Um, and I also just, I think, look into works because they're not huge. So one of the reasons I'm against staying in nice hotels is it's just a pain in the ass to get all your gear off the bike and everything and haul it to a room. But when there's only like 55 rooms, right, like you're fine. Oh, that was another factor is um, on the Valkyrie having the um, the pannier bags inside the cases that we could pull out and just take up to the room. That was really nice. That is nice. Um, well, yeah. Uh, so anyway, um, so we so we made amazing time down there. It was great. Uh, GP itself. So. Uh, for listeners that are not in the United States, some of this is not going to apply. Some of this will be stuff that applies to like any MotoGP race you go to, but we're going to talk a lot about Coda and Coda has changed a lot. Circuit of the Americas Coda has changed a lot since we've been there. Now, some of this will still apply to whatever your foreign local track is because, uh, it turns out a lot of your experience these days is getting dictated by Formula One. Yeah. So the whole way tickets are done, prices, how seating is done, you know, uh, um, what amenities are there at the track. It's all sort of like, oh, we're testing this out or letting you use things left over from the last F1 race, or we're testing this out to test, you know, for September when formula one rolls through, how well is this going to work? Like you're a little bit of a formula one Guinea pig when you're there for MotoGP. That's just a fact of life. There's nothing you can do about it. That's, that's just the way it's going to work out. Now, sometimes it works out well. The tram system was nice this year. It was, yeah. Uh, you know, um, it turns out uh, if you're going to go and camp, especially just camping off your motorcycle at 
uh, MotoGP at Circuit of the Americas, don't buy a parking, uh, a, a camping pass. So motorcycles just park for free at Circuit of the Americas. Well, for MotoGP anyway. No one will ever ask you what you're doing riding in and out. And if you just have a tent on the ground, no one gives a shit. They're just trying to make sure that people with RVs and and uh, fifth wheels have paid. Is is all they're doing. So now we have been, top tip. We have been asked in past years for our camping passes, but they didn't even have the camping spots, the non RV spots marked out this year. I don't think there were any. Yeah, they didn't have, like, individual lots for the camping sites, which is interesting. Well, I will say that was only this year. The other thing you could do is you could just pull up to someone who's just camping out of a van and say, can I put my tent next to your van? And when they're like, where's your camping pass? You'd be like, I'm camping on this lot with this guy. Especially if you brought some weed for that guy. There's nothing they can do. Yeah. Well, they decriminalize <laughs> yeah. it in Texas, so we'll see how long that pays off. Well, I, I, so I looked more into that. They didn't decriminalize it. You can have edibles in very small amounts for medical purposes only. So there are no dispensaries. There's no and 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 straight flour like joints are straight up hella illegal still, and yeah, and it has to be for medical. It's it's dumb. So it's really not legal in Texas. Okay. So, but but anyway, point is, you get down to GP, right? We got down there. We set up our tents and everything. We got our food going, whatever. And yeah, you know, the years that Coda uh, COVID has stopped people going didn't really get in the way. There was still a great bunch of people down there that we'd met in past years. That was fantastic. Um. The weather was fantastic for us this year. Uh, I'm trying to think like from a, so the infield had a little bit less stuff than years past. It had a lot less stuff. That's well, I mean, it wasn't really the, all it had that was less is uh, Dunlop didn't have like, wasn't there. There was like less other, I guess, I guess the biggest, the biggest reduction was actually test Honda. rides with test rides and honda yeah well no honda took up just as much space but instead of having all the bikes they were doing that stuff where they were, had people riding monkey bikes around hay bales and stuff yeah I mean, but honda always made such a big statement just bringing every single model of bike that they sold it's true they used and to bring a gigantic tent and they didn't do that this year. And they didn't do test rides. I know. So let's talk about the test rides. We didn't actually do any, but we have thoughts. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah, we didn't do any because we got really drunk. <laughs> You'll have that. Uh so the the te- well also by the like yeah, they were super busy anyway. I don't think we would have had a great time. But it's an interesting story this year, yeah, because there were only two manufacturers doing test rides, and one was Yamaha. And the other was CF Moto. Yes. And every bike that CF Moto brought was a very clear ripoff 
of a big four bike. So, yeah, well, our favorite was the the knockoff Africa Twin. Oh, the Ibex? Yeah. And that was like a 700? It was an 800. It was an 800? Okay, so the Ibex 800. So, if you don't know, CF Moto is a Chinese motorcycle manufacturer that's been selling bikes in the United States for quite a while, actually. Probably like 15 years but they've been selling like super cheap side by sides and they've been selling um CF Moto had a worst bike in the world like a year and a half ago it was a weird sort of uh scooter slash motorcycle bullshit thing anyway they've not really sold serious motorcycles until now and they're hitting hard with a bunch of things that would Otherwise, like, at least they had the good taste to not buy an old British motorcycle name to try to sell them under. Right, yeah. Or, (laughs) so they just called CF Moto, but they have, so they have a a budget adventure bike, which was like, what, nine and a half thousand dollars? Yeah, it was like two or three grand less than an Africa Twin. Yeah, it was an 800. Yeah, it was called the Ibex. There was a 450 sport bike. Uh, There's a 300 and a 450 sport bike. And then naked versions of those. And then there was like a 700cc kind of retro styled bike as well. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a few things. Um, I mean, the, the first obvious thing was just looking at like the plastics is it was like, yeah, the fit and finish looks good now, but like you just you, you run your finger over the plastic and you're like, this, this is, is gonna sun bleach real fast. This is gonna look like trash in two years, right? Honestly, I didn't think the fit and finish was all that good to start with. I, you know, at twenty feet it looked good, but yeah, but I mean, even like people are complaining that like Honda and Yamaha are losing their edge on fit and finish, and I was like, this is nowhere near Big Four on fit and finish, just not even close. No, well, it was more the it was more just looking at it, it was like this is just not going to last. No, no, not at all. Uh, the but I mean, people were riding them, and they didn't seem to be having any issues. I, uh, you know, I. We're going to have to get somewhere and test ride these things for real. Yeah. I I don't need to test ride every single model, but I need to test ride every single motor. But CF Moto has a Moto 2 and a Moto 3 team, and they made a big impression doing all those test rides. They won the lottery doing test rides with everyone else backing out of doing test rides because Yamaha's test rides half-hearted. They had like four Tenere seven hundreds, a tracer, and uh, uh, I, they didn't even bring out the Nikens that no one wants to buy, the or an R seven. Yeah, you'd think they'd have an R fucking seven for someone to ride. Not an R seven. They had a couple R threes, and uh, anything else of interest? I not really no. Not really, no. And they brought a big tent, too. Like, you could go and talk to salesmen about every single model under the sun. But as far as test rides, there wasn't a whole lot. 
Uh, oh, they had an XT250 you could test ride as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, and that was it. That was it for test rides. It was kind of bullshit, but whatever. Uh, there's so much more to, to GP than just the test rides. Um, I mean, there was your usual stuff. There was, um, you know, a setup there, Yamaha doing, like, their power boats, and there was... Um, oh, they brought their... Uh, they brought their... Um their new stand-up jet ski as well that's true well and also the other thing is is um ktm and bmw were over on the other side they weren't in the infield that would have filled out the infield a little bit more if they had been where they normally were yeah so i it wasn't it wasn't that sparse it was really just that instead of like five or six manufacturers doing test rides there was one and a half yeah because, I mean, Dionese still had their tent there. You, know, you could buy overpriced helmets and gear. Aprilia had a pretty good a pretty good setup. They did, yeah. They had, their, they had all, the, all the nice bikes there, a meet and greet station with the riders and things. They had a whole little, like, observation deck where you could go and have, like, a super, like, exclusive view of the back straight. And I don't know if... Did Aprilia bring any bikes to their tent? That didn't have winglets on them. No, they didn't even have like a, this the the R six sixty. They just brought all the fucking like one liter super bikes and tuonas and shit. It was great. <laughs> it's fantastic. Um, there were like four different four different styles of winglets on the Aprilia bikes. It was great. It was fantastic. The um. Yeah, there were lots of little like things like where you could like ride like 70 cc or 125 bikes around hay bales and shit and there are plenty of kids doing that but like a disturbing amount of adults as well and i was like this is motor gp doesn't like everyone here like currently own or has owned a fucking like 100 plus horsepower like sport bike what what are we doing with these monkey bikes here this is not the target demo I feel like Coda just needs to have a beginner and an intermediate dirt track on one of the lots. Yeah, I mean, but there's just like three other dirt tracks within two miles of the place also. So there it well, maybe just some barrel racing. Yeah, they need that. Um so weirdly this year everyone had to buy grandstand seats. There was no general admission. But one-fifth of people opted to still just sit on the grass anyway? Yeah, that was... Well, in years past, the grass gets so filled up that, like, the seats aren't worth it anymore. But when it was limited in number, it looked like people were sitting down there on their blankets, and they're actually quite comfortable. They didn't have to strain or stand up to look over people, and they had a good view of the TVs and everything. I kind of understand why they were doing it. And some people just want to be physically closer to the bikes as they go by, whereas we kind of want to see more of the whole track is our thing. Um, Yeah. They upped the... the, um, the cell towers so throughout all the races we could actually get the live feed and watch it on our phones which was great because they didn't have uh, a speaker tower near turn one 
Right. We couldn't hear anything live. Well, they there that was a really, tower. It was just drowned out completely. It, no, even when the bikes weren't going by, like I couldn't hear anything from from the PA mm. system. Like it was it was ridiculous. Well, anyway, having yeah. having the cell tower boosted was nice. It got a little yeah. spotty during GP, but for Moto three and Moto two, no problems at all. I just had this. It was also really nice because you realize the live broadcast. Any... I should have put this together. It's like forty seconds behind. So if there was something that I missed, I could just look down at my phone real quick and catch the moment again. It was great. Yeah. Well, you could. I well, I was on T Mobile and I got. No, I didn't even get reception on Friday or on Saturday. Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, that's yeah. that's an issue. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you yeah. had you had signal. You had enough signal to stream video. Yeah, I couldn't. I could. I could barely load the timings, the live timings. Like it was ridiculous. Yeah, uh, but yeah, as a spectator experience, it only being grandstand seats. You, I mean, you've got you can sit basically anywhere. It doesn't matter. You just like flash them a ticket, and you can go sit at other seats because there's enough people have like bought tickets, so they still want to sit on the grass. You can just kind of sit anywhere; it's fucking fine. No one gives a shit. Um, because it looked like they were getting hardcore about like where are you supposed to be seating, whatever. But by the end, I was just bringing up my ticket, and they weren't even scant. They were just I was just flashing it, and they were like, "Oh, he's got a ticket. There we go." Well, everyone had tickets. I don't. I don't even know why they were checking. I. Well, no. At one point, they were checking to like guide people to where their seats were. I was walking by at one point, and they uh, they were asking like, "Well, it seems kind of empty. Can we just like sit closer at the front?" And one of the attendants actually just said, "Well, you can go sit there, but like if the person who has that seat shows up, like you're gonna have to move." Much more relaxed than it's been in the past. Yeah. So that was good. Um. Let's see. Uh, we don't really need to cover like the race itself, but there are a few things I want to say. Um, the the Moto Two win from uh, 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 what's Pedro, his Acosta. Pedro Acosta was really awesome in person. I need to go back and watch it off of um, the video pass. But that is a win that people are going to be talking about for some time. They People sold were, uh, a lot of KTM merchandise that day. Also, just the audience at Austin really, really be, were really, really excited for Pedro to win that and to take it's it true. On, and just to take it on that last turn. Like they were really excited for Pedro to win that, and especially just because it was an interesting race where he like. Started in second, he moved through, he kind of got into first for, like, a few turns, missed a gear change, fell back, caught back up, and fought for it. Uh, everybody was really excited for that. It was it was a really great... In fact... It was I such say- a fantastic weekend. Uh, everyone that I picked as a favorite was, was the winner, or at least on the podium. I, I I liked Jame for Moto Three, finished second. Um, Jame would have won, but someone stood him up with like three laps to go. But he made up like two and a half seconds in two laps. It was nuts. Well, no, he got screwed because um, what, was it Sasaki in the lead? 
like crashed out and like he basically had to run off the track to avoid hitting him. Uh, it was something like that. Yeah, I think yeah. it was Ayumu Sasaki. He was leading and then he and then he crashed he lost the front in front of him and then he had to like Yeah, dodge he went back him. to like sixth place or something yeah. and he fought it back. It was great. Uh and he was close to it was, it, another lap or two and he would add first again. And then um yeah, uh Mark Marquez wasn't at GP. Um Quadraro faded. Uh, a lot of favorites crashed out, but I I called it for Rins that morning. Yeah, and well, no, I didn't. I didn't call the whole race for wins, but for Rins. But I said, you know, Rins is on an LCR Honda. It's where careers go to die. But but Rins has something special at this track. So I said, I you can't. I can't rule him out. I kind of like Rins for the podium and uh you know he put pressure on bagnaya he forced an error from bagnaya and um yeah there's some people sitting like right behind us some brits and they're like ah we want the vr6 boys to to take it home and you know so we finished a one two there i called it for rins they're like and then it was uh it was Bezeki second right or is it luca marini i thought it was Bezeki second I can pull it up. One of them was second, and one of them was like fourth. Uh oh, uh, Bezeki was sixth. Uh, Luca Marini was second. That's it, Luca. got third. That's it. That's right. So yeah, yeah Luca. But it was a, it was a pretty. I want to say it was a pretty distant third. But like, what a fucking development! An LCR Honda won a fucking dry race. Yeah. I when was the last time that, I can tell you the last time an LCR Honda uh, Honda won, which was. Um, Cal Crutchlow in the rain at Silverstone, which is only because Cal Crutchlow had something special at Silverstone and it was raining. Yeah. But this was dry and, and no asterisks. But yeah, Bagnaya crashed out of first because Rins put pressure on him. Yeah. The, 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 no asterisks. This, an LCR Honda just won. I, I don't know. I, it's a good thing. Like it was documented for everyone to see into the future. Cause it may never ever happen again. Like, you know, we talked a lot of shit about the Repsol Honda being the worst bike on the grid. No, no, no. The LCR Honda is the worst bike on the grid. Uh, yeah. Also it was such a bloodbath. Uh, like eight bikes crashed out something like that nine bikes nine oh yeah yeah it was also we had a lot of good crashes at turn one this year we did um the one thing i was really sad about just because i feel like he kind of deserved his break and to do something now that he's got a decent bike but alex marquez qualifying second and then crashing out of both races but it was it was carnage. Talking to people, there was a lot of love for Alex Marquez this year. Yeah, everyone was kind of like, you know, he's worked pretty hard. He had big shoes to fill. He had a lot going. You know, some of his Moto Two seasons were pretty touch and go, but he kind of pulled it off. Then he got screwed by Honda. Now he's got, and then he got his first podium on. On the Grassini Ducati. Yep. And now it's like, 
you know, it's kind of qualifying pretty well now. And maybe we can see something. And it, I think everyone's now just, everyone's kind of over, you know, his moto. You know. Well, his last name doesn't mean what it used to. Yeah. And not only that, he has separated himself from Mark and from Honda so, so much. He's not really part of that club. Mm-hmm. Like, they they disowned him. And, you know, like, he he kind of had to die and get reborn. Yeah. You know? And and that that was a couple rough seasons. But he's just not part of that, that Honda Marquez world at all now. He can really just kind of ride under his own flag, like under his own personality, under his own brand. I, he can't, he's, I, I feel like he's done a good job of stepping out of their shadow. Yeah. And he picked a good time too. Yeah. Yeah. He really did. Yeah. Um, I I think we'll see, we'll see more from Alex. In yeah. The coming races. I think he'll, he'll do well. Okay. Any yeah. more thoughts about, I mean, not the race itself, but like the experience, the, the whole, the whole thing. It was, for me, it was so great to go back after missing it for three years. It was three years. Jeez. Um, I mean, the, the, like I said, the facilities are still world-class. Um, the, oh, I want to talk about this. (laughs) Uh, so we met, uh, my old friend from, from Japan, John, he came down and this is one of my favorite things of the weekend. So we're right, oh, yeah. walking around the infield, and John is not a motorcycle person. So I was just having him walk up to bikes and just go, what do you think about this? And he would just give me the unadulterated, like, this is what the general public thinks when they look at an advertisement for this bike sort of thing, right? So the first thing I had him look at was the um, the Rebel 1100T. And I was like, just, just what are your thoughts? What what do you think? And he's like, I mean, it kind of looks like, uh, you know, like it, it wants to do like a little bit of like, you know, your cruiser thing, but it's a little smaller, a little bit more manageable. And I'm like, all right, Honda's, Honda's marketing is working. There we go. Yeah. Uh, 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 I had him look at a. Oh, you had him look at like the XSR nine uh, seven hundred. It's like, what does this look like to you? I looks technical. You... That's right. <laughs> he said, it "Looks technical." Uh, but yeah, we had him look at the the new Tiger, and he goes, "Oh, it looks like like a big highway cruiser." And then I explained ADV bikes to him, and he goes, "Oh yeah, I guess I see that." But his first thought was not off roading at all um yeah we asked him what he thought about like the ktm styling with its vagina headlights and he was like i mean it's he's like i don't care uh, you know because we we think it's hideous but he was just like i don't know it's it's a bike i yeah he's like you're selling these to mostly dudes right so sure put a vagina on the front of it Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um what else did he have thoughts on? Um, well, his one word uh, description of the KTM, well, his one phrase, his short description of the KTMs was um, that it looked, they looked like kids' toys. But I think that was just from the, I think he was just saying that from like the color scheme. 
Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he did say they had like a kid's toys look. Um he he said something good about the 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 Svart pill in 401 too. I can't remember what it was though. But anyway, um yeah, that was fascinating. Just having just putting him in front of just like yeah, bikes and get just just completely cold. What what do you think about this? What does this say? It's just so weird. We're we're too close to it, right? Ugh. Yeah. But that's fine. Um let's see what else about the whole thing. Um I went through way too much effort to try to buy a keychain this year. That was some bullshit. I finally found a Nikki Hayden keychain. Uh but like what's the deal? Like all the merch is going to be more expensive, but like can there be anything under $50 that you can buy as a souvenir that's not like a race shirt? Uh, anyway. Also, on that front, I, I think I've talked about this before, and mainly in the context of AMA events, but can we get a fucking beer transaction like under three minutes? Oh, yeah. Fucking for real. Like... Why is there not just a line that's like, okay, the beer is going to be $10. Get a $10 beer, get a $10 bill in your hand and your ID in the other. Walk up. Let's turn this into a five second transaction. One line for one kind of beer. Like, why do we have to get debit cards involved and pull out iPads with like, so like, so there's the, so the, the, they've got to they've got to do the stripe thing they've got to do the apps they've got to do the card mobile card reader that's just how it's going to work but there is an alternative we can go back in time and make this better i think for events and someone can make a lot of fucking money doing this a beer vending machine it's very simple Everyone in line gets their debit card and their ID ready. The machine has a camera and it will just take a picture of your ID and determine that you're 21. You don't even need a fucking person. You can probably just use the mag stripe. I think every every I think all 50 states have driver's licenses with a mag stripe, right? I guess is that too. Yeah. And just swipe one card then swipe the other. Boom, 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 boom. We're not messing around with tips. We're not messing around with bullshit. It's just a fucking machine that's just dispensing beers. And you know what? I don't even care. I don't need like a gentle robotic arm. If I'm at a fucking race and it's like 88 degrees and the sun's coming down on me, I'll drink a beer that's been dropped four feet. <laughs> I'll take it, right? It's not that big a deal when you have a soda that like made a little bit of a drop. The beer will be fine as well. I the the the, the soda machines are already refrigerated. The Japanese have beer machines. It's not a big deal. I Yeah, why are the Japanese beating us on beer technology? This is outrageous. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. 
I, you know, I appreciate like the, you know, the, the, the dudes with like the wa- the ice wagons going around selling beer and, you know, the, they're, they're wearing the t-shirts that have the prices on it and everything. But you walk up to actually buy the beer. All of a sudden it's like a six minute transaction. It's like, I thought you were just a dude with like a cart of beer. What, what happened? Yeah. And also in 2023, does every single fucking transaction you ever have to do in person have to involve a tipping mechanism? <laughs> I'm expecting to, like, be asked if I want to tip, like, the gas station pump pretty soon. Right. Like, <laughs> no, this... This this is out of control. I w- I was happy to tip the dude, uh, happy to tip the dude walking around in the sun pulling a cart of beer. But that's in general, better. you're right. Yeah, but like the dude that's like walking around Coda, which is miles, with just a fucking wagon filled with ice. That wagon must have been somewhat heavy. Is hot. You know, he was bilingual. He was helpful with people. I, I mean, you know, yeah. but but the dude sitting in a tent, pulling beers out of a cooler without having to get up from his chair. I don't know if we need to bring tips into this, right? Like, yeah, this yeah. Is, they should be getting at a minimum. Yeah, it, it, yeah. This is a bit much. It is. It is. Uh, but I'm still in favor of the beer machine. I am too. I don't know why that would be so hard. Uh, yeah. I mean, they could have had one just like at the bottom of the, of, of the turn one section. You wouldn't even have to leave the section. So then everyone on the grass could have had their own beer line and what it, it could have. Yeah. Could have been a whole thing. I will say, uh, Coda stepped it up and it, it's a really only because of formula one, but like showers, bathrooms, like all that kind of stuff, like way better than it was like three, four years ago. And it was still like, on par back then mm. but like an abundance like of bath like too many bathrooms this year almost right just huge banks of bathrooms everywhere well what was also super solid was like being able to buy ice at like gas station prices at, on, the, campground. at the campground very nice yeah that was really awesome um what else up to you know i do want to say when you get to gp early it's well in general actually it's still it's gotten a little bit stuff here but it's still pretty laid back that you don't have trouble getting through the gates you don't have to like prove you've got tickets and everything just to get into the, like through the front gates it's not like it's not like an interrogation, like at Disneyland. Like, what are you doing here? Well, we're we're here to see the park. Well, have you paid for parking yet? Have you, you know, it's sort of like, hey, I'm looking for lot N. Oh yeah, it's this way. You know, it. I I enjoy that about Coda a lot. It's mm-hmm. sort of like if you're like, there's just this understanding. Oh, if you're here, you're not lost. You're, yeah. You're here for a reason. You're you know what's going on to some degree, or you must have paid. You know, only only people that have, uh, that have tickets would show up here. People that just wander into a MotoGP race. It's there's very much a feeling of like, oh, you're here now. Great. Yeah, like you made it. 
right? You know, you were you were always going to be here, and now you are here. It, this is sort of inevitability, uh, which is nice. Whereas, I was I was told by many people this year that when you go to Formula One, it's just a fucking madhouse. Nothing's easy. Nothing's convenient. Everything's overpriced. Everything is too crowded. Everything is a hassle. Everything is sold out. Every you know, it's just fucking miserable. Is what I hear. I, I there were a group of guys that I was hanging out with after you went to bed, and they were like, "Yeah, we used to come here for Form the One, and it just started sucking so bad." We started coming for this instead. <laughs> like they weren't even, like one of them was like a hardcore motorcycle guy, but the other guy, the others were just kind of like general like race fans, and they were like, "Yeah, we just can't do uh, Formula One anymore. It's just, it's just stupid." So it is nice that on top of being just the coolest race series out there. Formula One is so overblown. We're now like gaining fans from it into GP. Um, yeah, I, I, it, it's the best race I've ever gone to. I've seen multiple NASCAR races. We've seen motocross races. We've seen Moto America. We've seen whatever. And I would even say like on the value for money, because tickets for three days were like a hundred and eighty. And then it was like the a campsite, if you, you know, is like 200 bucks, split that with your friends, you know, a couple hundred bucks in gas, split it with your friends to get there. Yeah, 180 bucks for three days of, of spectating for an event that you're going to have to travel to anyway is so modest. Like, yeah. Uh well well remember um their the Maddie and and company they paid they got paddock passes they paid for a premium camp spot with um power and water hookups and then they had someone deliver a fifth wheel RV to their camp spot that was two hundred bucks a day but this RV had five queen beds plus a single in it. A shower toilet combo and a regular toilet combo plus washer dryer and a deck. And they said they were all in it for like five hundred bucks each after they split all the costs. Uh, and that's for like a week long vacation, right? Uh well they all flew down as well. They did not include their airfare, I don't think. But if they'd driven down in, in a couple cars or whatever, it would have been like 600 or 700 each or whatever. That's for a fucking week's vacation where you're like hanging out in luxury, right? Uh, it's unbeatable. It's unfucking beatable. I, we probably spent like per day or per amount of time we were there more going to Moto America. And we had free passes for media. But if you if you look at how much racing we saw and how long we were there, the value for money is probably better at MotoGP. It might be, yeah. When you consider travel time and hotel and everything for how much racing you're seeing. Um, last thing, I think we should just say like what we thought about 
the Saturday race and the shortened Sunday races. So being there in person, did we, did we, I, I felt like I liked the Saturday race on TV a little bit more than I did in person. Uh, but also, I don't know, time just passed really weird for us and we were constantly busy. So it kind of felt like, oh shit, there's a race already, you know? Well, I think, well, the big thing is, I think the Saturday race is way better on TV than it is in person because when you're actually at the track, you're doing so many other things. And even if you're, even though you're sitting and you're watching the qualifying, you're not getting all of the commentary and you're not you know and you're there in person you're you're talking to people you're hanging out you're not on your phone the whole time and you don't have a computer you're not this is kind of why next year i want to get the full fifth wheel rv with a tv and like watch it all and then mm-hmm. review it all again in the camper at yeah. night <laughs> so but the but the thing is like normally if like for the you know for the sunday race you meet up with a bunch of other people Saturday night, and then you start talking. You say, who do you think is going to win? Well, how did he do in qualifying? You know, what, what was his FP2 lap times? You know, what's his pace been all weekend? And you, know, you have all that conversation. And then the people who've, like, picked up bits of information all throughout the day, like, all bring it in. So it's just like, well, he, no, actually, he, you know, Rin says he's figured something out here. And he's really looking. He's being he thinks he's really confident for sunday like you see you hear like oh somebody actually got injured and they're they're out you know you you hear all that information everyone kind of mulls over and you're all like you're all prepped for sunday but you don't have that on the saturday race because it happens so quickly after qualifying so in person well we also had a thing where we sat and watched qualifying and then there was like like a three or four hour break but that's when john showed up and we walked around with him Mm. so maybe if we'd actually if we were there and we'd had that three or four hours to really digest qualifying and then talk with some some other race people about what the implications were for the saturday race we may have done better with it but still, it, but it felt like the night, Saturday, like, the sprint yeah. race, like came up real fast. It was like, oh shit, there's a race already. Yeah, it. I I think it's a lot better on TV, but yeah, we did have John around, but uh, no, I. It was kind of yeah. nice to see that many people there on a Saturday, though. It was actually, yeah. Oh, one other thing I will say is that um, compared to previous years, a lot more people, uh in the stands for Moto3 and Moto2 this year. Yeah. Well, they already had their tickets for the Saturday race, so it was like, I mean, get my money's worth, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know why. Yeah, why would you... uh, I mean, it, it amazes me every single time, every year that we're there. We're in our seats. We've been in our seats all fucking day, and... This year was more full from from the get go, but it's still just this weird thing. Oh, the GP race is in twenty minutes. All of a sudden, there's like eight thousand more people here than there was like half an hour ago. Like what? What? Who are these people that just sit around and like, oh, I'll just kind of casually come in and see the one forty minute race out of this whole day of fucking racing? I. Uh, Drives me nuts. I'm like, who are these people? Yeah, it's weird. Uh, 
<laughs> it's super weird. All right. I think we should call this one quits. Um, so, yeah. Next week, we're going to be discussing a bunch of things. I, I've got a thing on uh, motorcycle models that don't exist that we think should exist. We've got our strategies for the motorcycle cannonball run. And yeah, reminder, maybe some history of the motorcycle yeah, reminder, cannonball run also. You know, game theory, your your ideal cannonball, motorcycle cannonball run setup. Right. All right. Do you have extra fuel tanks? Are you going to stop more? What Are you just going to go like H2R and just d- completely illegal? <laughs> and Or are you going to do an NC750X at wide open throttle? Are you what, what are you doing? What's your food situation? Uh-huh. Are you going to wear a catheter? Right. Like yeah. I want to know. I want to know. <laughs> yeah. What time of day are you leaving? Are you going to front load the dark? Are you leaving in business hours? Like, what? what's that all about? Are you leaving in the morning? Um, do you have a weird route idea? Because there's no official, there's no official route. It's just start at the, the, like the red ball garage or something like that and end at the, at the red roof inn. um yeah let us know what's what's your bike choice or what modifications you getting a uh you getting a um uh, a radar blocker are you gonna hire friends to scout out the highway for you uh what 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 do you think how can you break it because i think it's like 35 hours is is the thing which so it's like an average speed of 90 miles per hour you have to average even when stopped which sounds very doable to me yeah well i'll say one thing and then we can sign off but if i were president the first thing i would my first decree would be we would just we would pick a day in july that would be a new national holiday which would be the cannonball run day. We'd pick like the fastest routes and for like a rolling six hour window, like a rolling, shut like down. a rolling six hour window, like shut down the interstate for, well, not shut it down because obviously like anyone can just do it, but just like have local cops that like let people know like, Hey, if you're going to be on, it's basically Autobahn day. No, I would just I would um, shut down every entrance, like all the normal entrances, and just it'll just be like, hey, you know, it it, it would be like um, it'd be like when we had the eclipse and everyone just kind of like set up and camped and hang, hung out in all these locations along mm-hmm. the path of the right of the eclipse. It would just be hey. Just go sit on the embankment along the interstate and just watch all of these nut jobs go by at like two hundred miles an hour. Yeah, <laughs> trying to trying to set the cannonball record, and it would just just be national holiday. It'd be like the Fourth of July. It's just like we're not doing anything today. Let's we're just gonna shut down all commerce, and <laughs> you know what? Automation's kicking in. We all. Are working a little bit less. We we need more national holidays. We we need more federal days, more federal holidays, and this would be a good one. Okay, um, <laughs> yeah, I 
there's something there, but yeah, it, it's it's got to definitely be a rolling like shutdown. There's gonna be a window, and if if you lose pace, sorry, you're just done. Yeah, you got to keep up with the group within a certain window. Yeah, or or it's not even worth it. Yeah. Okay. Cool. All right, we we we've accomplished something here. So, with that, let's sign out. Remind everyone to. Stay safe, stay tuned, keep fighting, or fucking the dragon, and... And I don't want to die, I just want to ride on my motorcycle. Mm, Cole.